From best of San Francisco DDTV, The Pink Chill, and DD LaFrag. Hey, I've only lived in San Francisco for 30-something years. What do I know about it? San. Liberals? Mm. They're sadistic progressives. Francisco. This city is Junkies Incorporated. It's the Junkie Apocalypse. Damn. This ain't your phony soy boy San Francisco. This is the San Francisco Dam Zone. San Francisco Dam is a solo psychodramatic performance art storytelling podcasting platform. Hey, everybody. This is San Francisco Dam, your uncensored podcast for Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. And it's Stevie Wonder's birthday. Happy birthday, darling. I'm Dee Dee LaFrac, coming to you from the formerly beautiful downtown San Francisco. Your San Francisco Dam podcast is posted Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And famous for being under 15 minutes. Don't you just love a short to the point podcast? I know I do. And thank you for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. Now let's get going. Just a little bit. I'm going to focus on San Francisco. Then it's all about Stevie Wonder and how I got to sit at his feet when I was 15 years old in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now San Francisco is still sheltering in place. We were the, we were the first North American city to do so. It seems like purgatory to me. My city has been completely redesigned because our mayor, London Breed, who happens to be an African-American woman, she's quite beautiful. I've met her very, you know, she's got that political demeanor, very polite woman. She has allowed the junkies, and I'm not calling them homeless. They are junkies from all over America. She's allowed them to pitch their tent in most all San Francisco neighborhoods. Yes, there are some San Francisco neighborhoods that are protected by the police and the police will remove the encampments. For the rest of us, we're out of luck. It's a junkie apocalypse. It's like a horror movie. It's seriously, oh my goodness, I would never have believed that San Francisco would have been redesigned to be so squalid. And when there are junkies using the streets as their homes, living rooms, toilets, just let your imagination flow as to what they're doing. And if you want to hear more about it, go ahead and binge on San Francisco Dam podcast. I go into deep dives all about it. So this is all about Mr. Stevie Wonder and why he's so important to me and how I got to bum rush the stage and sit at his feet. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am one of seven children. My parents divorced when I was about four and a half. My father, unfortunately, like many males who aren't really family guys, he married a woman, beautiful woman. My parents were both beautiful Southerners. They had seven children. And he, you know, they got a divorce. And after the divorce, he just walked away. Like, this is very common. It's not necessarily a black American thing, but uh, we do have a very high and generational fatherless rate that is that can't be ignored it can't be soft soaped we can't say oh other races do it too there is no other culture in america that has such a high rate of fatherlessness as black americans that's the real deal and i know about it since i i consider myself fatherless since my father abdicated his role didn't pay child support didn't come and visit us nothing seven kids now what kind of guy does that a sociopath in my book. So anywho, 
I was raised musically as a Motown baby. My mom, she loved music. She played the blues a lot. Can you imagine why? <laughs> a lot of B.B. King and a lot of Motown. That's the first music I remember hearing. San Francisco Damn Daily Truth Bombs. No Namby Pamby permission necessary. And I fell in love with Stevie Wonder. Something about his voice. It's so soothing. And did you guys know he was a child star, little Stevie Wonder? Go ahead and Google Fingertips Part 1 and 2. If you do not know, you will see the birth of a child star. I mean, he tore that house down. Anyhow, so Stevie Wonder was like like the male voice between my ears. And I was a little girl who I liked to work because we were raised on welfare. I mean, again, seven children, dad paying no child support. Of course, we were raised on welfare. I mean, give me a break. And I would work jobs after school and summer. So it wasn't that bad for me when I started working because it's nothing worse than being a poor kid with no money. So I had money, and that was a good thing. And I would buy my Stevie Wonder records, so when I needed to um, feel that I had a man in my life, I would listen to Stevie Wonder records. And one time when I was about 13 years old, I wanted to go and talk to my dad. You know, a lot of these guys, they choose to stay in the same neighborhood. They, they abdicate their family, abandon their family, but stay in the same neighborhood. Isn't that sociopathic? <clears throat> I think so. So I, I told my mother, the late, great evangelist Helen, I said, Mom, I want to go and uh, talk to Daddy. She said, you know what your daddy's like, but she didn't talk me out of it. I give her credit. She encouraged my satire, reading Mad Magazine. She encouraged me drawing cartoons. She encouraged me listening to Stevie Wonder. She gave me a lot of space. I, I give her credit for that. She said, yeah, you can go over there, but I needed a chaperone. Back in the day, kids had chaperones. And I was 13 years old, but one of my older sisters, her name was Linda. She is no longer with us. Rest in peace, Linda. And Linda walked me over there, and I went up to Daddy's door, and I was precocious. I considered myself as smart as any adult. You know how kids that think they're smarter than adults are? But I wasn't sassy. I didn't curse. You didn't curse back then at adults, or you really got it. So I knocked on the door and I said, Daddy, I'm just wondering, basically asked him, why aren't you paying child support and why aren't you basically fathering us? Why aren't you coming by and, you know, talking to us and being concerned with our school? I would read Mad Magazine and all the divorced dads would be involved fathers. So that was what I knew was normal. I never accepted his behavior as normal. So I'm on his porch and he looked at my sister. He's like, you better get your sister out of here before I call the police. Get out of here. Can you imagine? Well, um, this is my second time recording, and every time I talk about it. This is sexist, womanist, bohemian excellence. It's the San Francisco Dam Zone with Dee Dee Makes me ah uh, cry. So I went home and, of course, went upstairs to my room and put on a Stevie Wonder record. Made everything better. So that was age 13, so you're figuring out what it was about. No dad, and Stevie Wonder was my emotional father. And what is Stevie singing about? He's singing about loving women. He's singing about, you know, loving life. He had his political activism going on. He was just the perfect, perfect man in my eyes. I really, really loved him as a girl. I had a big, gigantic crush on Stevie Wonder, all the Stevie Wonder posters, all the Stevie Wonder albums. I was like his number one fan. I would write to magazines talking about Stevie Wonder. And a couple years later, 
he came to Milwaukee to perform at the Milwaukee Auditorium with the Commodores. Now, do you guys know Lionel Richie? That used to be his band, the Commodores. They did the song Brick House. You know that song. Google Commodores Lionel Richie if you do not know him. And I'm middle-aged, so I'm going to age myself, but that's okay. I'm 15 years old with a gigantic lopsided afro working my after-school job at a department store, and I bought two tickets because, again, I had to have a chaperone. Little girls were not allowed to be running uh, to concerts by themselves back then, and I bought two tickets, one for my eldest sister, who was a family bully. Um, (laughs) I could talk about that, but uh, for another time. So she was my chaperone to the Stevie Wonder concert. And we had nosebleed seats. So this was a big deal for Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gigantic big deal. I mean, this is Stevie Wonder. This is during his phase where he was just winning all the Grammys. He was making these beautiful, iconic albums. He was the king of R&B. He was just running music. I was so happy to go to this concert. And uh, the Commodores performed. But this is all about Stevie Wonder. They did a great job. And between the Commodores and Stevie Wonder, it was about a 45, maybe it was an hour, um, there was a wait. Now, this is in the Midwest. Like, we're kind of country folk. We're just going to sit there and take it. (laughs) So we did. And it was the 70s. I mean, come on. And then you could hear the music. And it was dark. And then all of a sudden, this bright light popped on. And there's Stevie in the middle of the stage at his keyboard. And the, and the house just went wild. And my heart just started beating. And it was just like, you know, the ultimate daddy figure. There he was. I was in the same room with my daddy. You following me? Okay, Stevie Wonder at that point was my emotional father. My father had given up his role. I was no longer seeking my father's love because I knew he was emotionally unavailable. And that was never going to happen. I knew it. I accepted it. So I'm in the same room with Stevie Wonder. Ba-dum! We're way up top, and the songs were jamming. I told my big sister, I said, I'm going down. And she looked at me like, mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I went down, down, down. I popped up on the stage. I looked like I was about 12 years old, and I had a little tape recorder back then. The tape recorders were kind of bulky with a microphone on a string. Thank you for listening to San Francisco Dam with Didi LaFrac. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Anchor App, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. And I sat at the feet of Stevie Wonder while he played a couple songs recording him. Yes, I did. And the bodyguards looked at me like, huh? But they didn't make me leave. This was another era, and I was harmless. I wasn't spazzing out. I sat at Stevie Wonder's feet. He had on red and black Stacey Adams, and it changed my life. And then I was looking up at him. I wish he could have looked down at me. I wish he could have seen me. But it was a life-changing moment. I looked at the audience, this wave of thousands of people, and it changed my life. I, there, then and there, I became an arch nonconformist after I sat at the feet of Stevie Wonder. And I popped off the stage after a couple songs. They didn't have to drag me out. So let me just hurry up because after this, you're going to hear me interact with Stevie Wonderful the Cat. Now, let me tell you how much I love Stevie Wonder. Uh, my public access TV show, multiple award-winning show called DDTV for the first 10 years, and it's been around 25 years. For the first 10 years, the um, theme song was Higher Ground, okay? When my beloved husband, co-producer Richard LaFrac, died, of a terrible cancer, my theme song was Don't You Worry About a Thing. 
and I also started a live public access show called the DD Wonder Show, and that ran for three years from 2016 to 2019, and every other week I would go there to the uh, public access station in San Francisco, and I did a live show where I was basically a VJ, and I was talking about how much I love Stevie Wonder. I would play Stevie Wonder uh, music, and then I would talk about how his music helped influence me as a young girl and how he was helping me to heal through widowhood. Are you following me? And I love Stevie Wonder so much, and this is this is my gift to him for his 70th birthday. I know it's he may never listen. It would be my honor if he listened. I love you, Stevelyn. I really do. All right, so I got to tell this story. I'm talking fast because I don't want to go over my time of 15 minutes. I appreciate everyone around the world listening, and it's important that you know. I know I wouldn't be walking the face of the earth without the influence of Stevie Wonder. I would have made some pretty poor choices in men, hobbies, and places where I went. I, I know for sure I wouldn't even be alive today. Some of my sisters are not ali alive today, and they, they weren't listening to Stevie Wonder. That's not why, but music is important for young girls. The music young girls absorb, it basically, you know, it sets the precedent for their life. I believe this. Now, I am Dee Dee Russell here in San Francisco, uh, doing the best I can during a city that this city is uh, going through a lot of turbulence, all the junkies on the street. We're still sheltering in place, and I'm still listening to my Stevie Wonder darling. So, after I finish talking, you are going to hear me interact with Stevie Wonderful the cat. Yeah, I adopted a cat in 2019 on Valentine's Day. It was love at first sight, and I named him Stevie Wonderful. I'm middle-aged, and I've had many cats. Stevie Wonderful is the best cat I have ever had. He's verbal. He's cuddly. He's inquisitive. He's masculine. And he has a feminine side. I'd say he's probably a lot like the man, Stevie Wonderful the man. <laughs> Stevie Wonder the man, Stevie Wonderful the cat. So please subscribe to San Francisco Dam. This podcast comes to you Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays from San Francisco. I am Dee Dee LaFrac, and guess what? I trust my vibe. San Francisco Dam. Stay tuned for Stevie Wonderful the Cat and I. I love you, Stevie. I'm coming. We're allergic to free-range, hyper-allergic control freaks. It's the San Francisco Dam Zone with Didi LaFrac. That's today's episode of the San Francisco Dam Podcast with sexist womanist bohemian Didi LaFrac. Remember to join us tomorrow for another episode. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. Head over to SanFranciscoDam.com for more sponsorship information. Thank you for subscribing and listening.